All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We got a good one for you here today, and he is literally in the house. Oh, Lone de Chateau, Lone Duck HQ. We got Mr. Clark Kennington himself. He's up here running a hunt test, staying at the Casa del LD, airing his dogs in the back 4T. Man, I'm on, I'm on fire right now. Feeling good. Setting a record deal. Uh, man, happy to have him. Extremely excited to rock a podcast with him live, especially after a weekend hunt test. Um, we got a good one coming up. But first, you know, we got to do a little house cleaning. That yuca nuba, baby. The food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck. But also, what do you think there, Clark? Fuels the truck of Mossy Pond as well. Yes, it does. All right, man. Mossy Pond's got a lot of DOGs. How many do you think on average is at the kennel? I'd say we average around 80. All right. All on Yukonuba. Every single one's on Yukonuba. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Formulas. Are most on 3020? Is everybody on 3020 or do you fluctuate a little bit? What do you think? Uh, pretty much everybody's on the 3020. But you told me a little bit about that 3028. Yes. Uh, not a lot of people know about the 3028. Um, it's a formula that you can't really buy at a store. You'll have to contact the Yukonuba representative to get it. Uh, we've had amazing luck with it with some dogs that, uh, you know, you train a lot of dogs. You see some dogs that may not necessarily have enough within the 3020 which is very rare um so you try some different things and uh brett actually turned us on to this food said hey try this 
Man, it's amazing. You know, most of the time you think a higher protein, higher fat food, well, they might blow out. No, we've had dogs that just pack on the pounds. Yeah. It's not something we necessarily leave them on. No. But it's something that it's amazing what it's done for them. It's almost like a supplement. Absolutely, yeah. So if you got a high-octane, excuse the phrase, but crackhead dog that just, you know, you can still see those ribs and you're putting a lot of food to them. Well, we don't necessarily want to put more food to them. You want to give them more nutrients that their body can absorb. Because sometimes if you overfeed, they just legit poop it out. So I want to give them four cups, but that four cups is packed with a little bit more nutrients, right? It's packed so that's, with more protein, more fat, more calories. Exactly. And so that thirty twenty eight, you were telling me last night, you know, while we were eating wingy dingies, that uh, that thirty twenty eight helped a few of the dogs that are like the rare case. It's yep. not everybody. It's a very rare case, but but you, you know, need it when you need it. Who else has a dog food that can actually help with those rare case dogs? That you can. It's the first baby. one I've ever seen that legitimately works. That's right. All right, man. Next up, Gunner Kennels, man's best kennel, made in America, built to last and built to keep your dog safe. You guys use some Gunner Kennels down Absolutely. there, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, we've got Mossy Pond Outfitters, and we have Mossy Pond Kennels Retrievers. Uh, we use them for both. You know, we keep one colors for the outfitters, and one <laughs> is for the retrievers. That's what's up. Um, no big deal. And we highly recommend it to all of our clients. You know, we we use these nice stainless steel dog box boxes to travel with. If I didn't have that, I would never leave the house without a gunner kennel. It is the safest kennel on the market. That's right. You jumped in my truck when we were heading to old Shorty's Pub and Grub, the old local establishment last night for dinner. What's in my back seat? Gunner kennel. That's right. Because if something were to hit the fan, I want my dog protected. And Correct. I guarantee you, everyone who's listening is thinking it won't happen to me. But what if it does? Yeah. What did Forrest Gump say? Shh. It happens. Absolutely. That's right. All right. Gunner Kennel. So if shh, it happens, your dog is going to be safe. If you'd like to learn more, you can shoot us a direct message on Instagram. Slide onto those DMs and we'll hook you up. Next up, Dogtra. Man, we're on the same page with all these things that we like. Maybe it's because we're like-minded guys who like quality stuff. Absolutely. You only use the best. Right. Why wouldn't you? What is in your hand while you're training a dog Monday through Saturday? Dogtra Edge RT. Same-Z's. Same-Z's. And, and we've used the new collar. Absolutely love it as well. Is that the 3500X? Yes. Yes, we've got them as well. I love it. It's a great collar. I mean, it has all kinds of uses. I just haven't been able to convert myself. I'm a long time yeah. Ultra Edge user. And I know. I'm so used to it. Same here. Um, so I have both. I have one of each on the truck. Yep. I use them both. I'm the same. I I feel like when someone gets their hands on a unit, whether it's a their first collar ever and it's a 1900S or the Edge RT, You've used it for a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and it's like, yeah, this new collar is really nice, but this is the old trusty, and I know mm -hmm. what buttons where and how to flick that dial one notch and dingo dango like it's instant instantaneously. It, yeah, you know exactly where you are, Muscle what you memory. need, and it's there. Yes, uh, but that thirty five hundred X is a really cool unit too, so people can check that out on LoneDuckOutfitters.com or Dogtraoutfitters or dog tra outfitters look at me dog tra official on instagram 
Check them out. Tell them we sent you. Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. The old Traeger Grills. Best rolling thing on the market. Ugh. God, I love ribs. Makes it so easy. Yeah, I'm a so so easy. Kind of a big dummy over here, and uh, I can set that sucker up, and I can have pork butt ribs, wingy dingies, anytime I want. But have you res- reverse seared a ribeye on it? No, no, I haven't. Oh, you're missing out, brother. All right, you're missing out. All right, next week's episode, I will have reverse seared a ribeye. Got to do it. You're gonna have to teach me something. Got to do it. All right, I love it. Traeger Grills, welcome to the Traegerhood, baby. Next up, shooter shoot. Mm. Uh. Ah, that biz, man. Oh, I can just see it now. Big old green head. Coming in. Coming in hot. Cupped up. Hand going. Kaboom, baby. Mm. That biz, man. Can't. Cartridge on Instagram. You got to check them out. Get that bismuth. Baby, start stocking up. Duck season is coming at ya. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're in tune with you. You in tune with us. And selfish plug, patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. If you'd like to, you know, jump in the community, we've got videos, tips, um, little little articles that I've written. It's probably a little chicken scratch, but hey, don't judge me. Um, but tons of video content that's not on our YouTube. We also do bi-monthly. That's two times a month for all you guys that are just like me. That's two times a month where we do like a happy hour and you jump on a live Google chat. I answer your dog training questions. We have a beer two or three or four and bang them out. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. You can also win an all expenses paid trip to hunt the Eastern shore of Maryland this December. We're going to pick a winner in a few months. Patreon.com forward slash Lundo Confers. Wow. Let's get into the show. Clark, you're on. Welcome, bud. Welcome to New York. Man, I appreciate you having me up. It's been a blast so far. Uh, we rolled in here Friday afternoon. Yeah. Bob's treat us like family, man. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us up here. No, you're making me blush. Already making plans on coming back. <laughs> I know, yeah, in like three weeks. I love it, dude. No, I'm I'm thankful because years ago you opened up your home to me after a Super Retriever series. It was probably five or six years ago now, and uh, I finally get to return the favor. So I'm really excited because tomorrow we're going to get the train together, and it'll pr- pretty much be the first official time that we'll sit there, pick a setup out, look at some stuff and uh, run our dogs together so i'm really excited about that um but real quick we had a weekend we had a hunt test a little little finger lakes retriever club central new york first time to run a test in new york really first time wow so first connecticut was a first a couple of weeks ago and now it's my first time to run an event in new york that's pretty sweet enjoyed it it was great it was great test great grounds great judges great club very nice people, great, wasn't great it? Great people, absolutely. I, I, we all get to run a lot of places, and there are some clubs that you look at and you're like, ah, a little disorganized, but they're they're good people, they're learning, whatever, like things are good. Then you're like, don't really want to run there again, and then there are clubs are like, that's a good group of guys and gals, and I do think uh, we ran a little long this weekend, but it was. 
we had a ton of rain, a lot of extenuating circumstances. Yes. But the judges, even in pouring rain, I mean, we got inches yesterday. They had a smile on their face. Oh, they were great. They were happy the whole time. Never once complained. Didn't really set up a humdinger. No, no, they they were <laughs> like we'll thank them for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll take it. Um, I mean, they the test had their pitfalls, but uh, you know, overall it was a very fair, yeah, master test. Uh, have a run harder, absolutely much harder, uh, but they tested a master dog. Um, mm-hmm. Tests were all fair. They were well organized. Went pretty smoothly. Um, and the two ladies that judged were just excellent. They were smiles on their face the whole time. They were for the dog. I don't know what our last number was that we passed, but I think it was probably in the 30s out of a 66 dog master. So it's pretty typical master test. You know, you're looking at a 50 to 60% pass ratio on most of your master tests nowadays. Uh, first series was a nice triple. Big um, flyer. <laughs> big flyer at about 35 yards. And, it, and they had that winger set up at an angle where that sucker went straight up. It took forever to come down. And, yes, it was so enticing for a break. And then you had a 180-degree swing because it was an out-of-order flyer to your left to see your go bird of that series. Through a keyhole. Through a keyhole. And then the first bird out was no joke. It was a little bitty dump throw with a lot of green mm-hmm. grass behind it. Cross a road, um, Angle across a road. I think that probably was the best marking series we saw all weekend. Personally, uh, the third series was pretty good on the island bird. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like a bridge mark, basically. Bridge mark onto an island, mm-hmm. and our go bird was tight to it. You know, we saw a lot of dogs that would be swimming to the go bird and win the island bird and go get it, and they'd get in a little trouble on the go bird because they thought they'd already picked it up before. Yep. Uh, so they were well-thought-out tests. They had their pitfalls. They weren't overly challenging, per se, um, but they had their pitfalls, and it truly tested a master dog. Yeah, I think if you had a young master dog, there were things that could get them. Absolutely. If you had a seasoned master dog, you were probably okay. And then there were elements of breaking. Even the third series with that first bird out, splash. In Every the, series had a breaking element on it. Yeah, that seems to be what we've been running into. But it was like a, you know, I don't know, you're, you're sitting on a point and 30 yards, 25 yards. Big, big high arc bird. splash bird and we and, had to honor it yes the, <laughs> and the honor bird honor dog is closer than the working <laughs> closer than the working dog uh but if you sat still you picked up your birds and you ran a good blind now the other meat of this test and and maybe we can touch on this because i had a couple friends in the club that did not pass and they ran a good test but the second series water blind. Mm-hmm. Second series water blind, you had to angle into a pond, get on a point, get off a point, swim a bit of a channel, and pick up a bird. It was maybe 70 yards, 80 yards. It 70 wasn't, to 80 yards. And what it, made that blind difficult was it wasn't your stereotypical on a point off a point you know most of the time you're going to get on a tip of a point cast off a tip of a point you had to go over the base of this point you weren't at the tip you were at the tip you'd be casting back into the land it was a pretty narrow re-entry on this blind right for the most part um so what you'd see is these dogs would get out on this point and it was such a narrow re-entry they would uh 
they would go to run around it, and then people would get in trouble and wouldn't be able to get them back into the water. Um, so it was just a different view, a different look at a, at a on-the-point, off-the-point water blind that maybe some of these dogs weren't used to. And what they were doing is cutting dogs. Yeah. We didn't know it. They didn't make a comment about it. But if you didn't challenge the blind and get back in the water, even if, from what my understanding is, if the dog got in the water and it was running the bank but in the water, they were letting it go. But if you were four foot dry, four, like not four foot like a ruler, your dog's four feet were dry and they ran the bank and you weren't doing everything you can. Yeah, they, they dropped most of the dogs that did that. Yep. And, and you have to look at that. Well, I do. If it, Let's say I was judging that blind. Um, my blind is on the point back into the water. Agreed. So, therefore, if your dog does not get back into the water, it did not run my blind. So, I'm not necessarily, I may not fail the dog on the blind completely from that point, from a judge's standpoint, but you have to think about all the other things they're dropping on. Perseverance, trainability. These three things on that blind, they're getting hammered on. Perseverance of not trying to get back in the water. Trainability of multiple cast refusals. And then you can you take that in consideration also with a low score on a blind because they didn't run the blind. So I think that's where they were getting the dogs. It was just a combination of all three of those things. Yeah. Yeah, they put a hard line in sand on it. And, and to me, even though my friends didn't make it, it makes sense. I looked at it and said, I better get their butt in the water. And I think what you had to be comfortable with, if you had a dog that gave you the middle finger, frankly, and gave you cash refusal, cash refusal, keep trying. Right. Get well, them in the water. Well, you didn't have a lot of room either. Nope. That, that was another thing about that blind. If you had a fast dog, you really only had about two casts That's right. to try to get that dog into the water before they were past the bird, and then you were to a point of no return. Right. So I looked at it as I really only have one cast to get this dog in the water. Um, I had several dogs go over the point and push hard back into the water, and I had several of them that went over the point and looked like they might get back in the water, but, you, you know, we talked about this earlier. Nobody's getting a blue ribbon at a master test. Right. So – I always look at running a blind at a test in a defensively defensive mode. So, yeah, they might have slightly dropped their shoulder like they're going to get in the water, but I'm going to make good and well sure we're getting the water because we never want to get past that point of no return. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw a lot of people that their dogs look like they may get in the water, and then, boom, they were out, and it was too late. At that uh, point, you're in too much trouble. There's no recovery. Yeah. So that I made agree. that blind really difficult. Yeah. And that was the meat of the second series. Absolutely. Yeah. The marks weren't, it was a double uh, mark. Double, double. Yep, double blind. And it was the meat of the test. The two marks were realistically gimmies. You know, you could have a dog that just has a, part. a yeah. dog moment, right? Mm -hmm. But they weren't breaking birds, and they weren't that far either, and there wasn't much feature to it. It was go pick them up. The meat of the test was that blind, and I felt like the judges knew that and said, here it is, folks. Hold the line, challenge my blind. Um, we can move on. But overall, it was a great, great weekend. I mean, fun. Uh, I'll brag a little bit, and then I want you to brag. We had we went two for three in junior. Go ahead. You can 
Yeah, he rolled his eyes. Tell me why you roll your eyes. <laughs> Nothing. Every no, time I... Yeah, don't say it. Say <laughs> every it. Every time I hear hear that, and, and we run a lot of dogs in junior, too. Uh, we, <laughs> Go we on. Do. No, you don't. Go we on. Do. We it's do. fine. We no, do. You don't. I, I, no, I don't, but we do. <laughs> Go on. Uh, a long time ago, a guy that I consider a friend that I learned a lot from made an old saying that said, the, uh, the junior is no place for a pro, and I can't exactly say it the way he did. Uh-huh. It's a... Why, and I asked him why not. He said, "Well, if you pass, you're the pro that passed junior. You should. If you failed the junior dog, you're the jackass pro that couldn't pass the junior." That's right. That was me. It's like beating. But I up, love you, Bob. It's like beating up an old man. It's like, well, he had it coming, but if he beats you up, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah, nah. Well, so here's what happened, and this for everybody who has a junior dog. You know. We're kidding around, and I, Blaine. It's all in good fun. I know. Blaine calls me the junior champ, and and here's my thought. This is my way of thinking, is junior is a lot of fun, and it's a great way for new people to get into our sport. They originally come to us, I just want a hunting dog, and then we give them a hunting dog, but we give them a couple ribbons, or they come and watch, and they get hooked. Or they get to run their own dog or whatever it is, and they get hooked, and now they want senior, and then they get a senior, and now they want a master. Or or they're done at junior, but they had a great experience, and now they're an ambassador for hunt tests when it comes time to you know, step up to bat when maybe someday somebody gives us a hard time about running hunt tests, right? Right, and um, you know we, we do run a lot of dogs in junior. So, You're so just full picking. Of it. Yeah, Carter no. Carter runs a lot of dogs in junior. Yeah, we do. Whoever Carter is, uh, I, I don't know Carter. Carter's an up and comer. You just watch. I believe you. I'm just saying. Just watch. So we we do it for the for a lot of the same reasons. You know, these people send us our dogs and they want a super nice gun dog. Yes. Well, this is kind of a way to introduce them to something else that can be done with their dog. Something that okay, every gal on the side of the road is going to tell you they have the greatest dog on, on the face of the earth. That's right. Well. Now you can say, okay, let's let's go prove you have this great dog. It's a stepping stone to get into it. That's right. So you bring him into it, and hey, Fido got a junior pass. You know, it's a stepping stone. That's know, right. For lack of a better term, it's kind of like the gateway drug. Yeah. Because it really is. It's it really addiction. is. Because um, they're proud of their dogs just like they are their kids. Yep. So we're introducing them to something that not only they can be proud of, but it's going to make their dog better in the long run. Yep. So – we're going back to what, and I'm kind of buttoning in here, but you lost the dog on it. Was a, it was a live flyer that he lost the dog on. Yep. And just you and I talking, that is one of the biggest things that I hate about AKC test, and some people love it. As far as a hunt test is concerned, is we're judging dogs to a standard. Every dog is judged to the exact same standard. However, in a flyer, we have no control about where this bird lands, so it's not necessarily the same test that this dog's being tested to the same standard on. Right. because we can't control where this live duck lands. So your dog may get a bird that lands where the same place that 20 other birds land, and then somebody else's dog comes up and gets one that lands 50 yards deep, and they can't come up with the bird. Right. So it, it, there, it's part of the luck of the draw sometimes. Yeah. And, that's, and it just happens. And that's what happened with us. So God, you know, it, it happens. And... The, the gunners were having a bad day, straight up, bad day. And so these ducks were coming out, and one was landing here, one was landing there, one was landing here, one was landing there. And th- so the 
fall area of where the duck is being launched and landing wasn't a five foot radius where there's a ton of duck scent, right? It's 50 yards circumference or more where there's feathers everywhere and there were crippled ducks. I can, I mean, out of maybe 30 dogs, I bet a dozen of them were walkabouts where the head is up and the duck is walking through the field. Not good. That's scent everywhere. Right. And you're talking about a, how old is this dog? Probably, probably a year. Okay. I mean, he, honest so to God, he, is, he should do it. Like he's been in training long enough. He, he knows right. better. But you're talking about a dog that's got six months of training in him. Right. There are master dogs that are four and five years old that struggle with that. Yeah. So you're talking about a dog with six months of training they're going to tr- struggle with that. That's, right. I mean, we have master dogs that are five and six years old with master national plates. When the duck's head is up and looking the at them, they, yeah. they're like, eh, no, yeah. it can't be that. It's got to be laying dead. Or like I said, a bird falls 50 yards deep of where all the other ones fell. Right. Well, they're smelling where 50 live birds were killed. There's feathers there. That is the fall. We teach them so much about proceed to an area of a fall, establish a hunt, Stay within that scent cone. Find a bird. Yeah. Don't leave it. Yeah. So when you get that situation at a master test or a junior test and the bird's deep, they're doing exactly what they were trained to do, staying in there trying to find that bird. But yeah. Their bird just happens to be 50 yards deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And he he did a good job. It, it just didn't pan out. It wasn't his day. It was his first test, too, and he was excited. I mean, it was all, all the things that go into a junior test. Then my little boykin, Ziva. She crushed. I was so proud of her. And on the water, and this is where, you know, people ask us a lot about force fetch. Ziva's out of force fetch. She's on force to a pile and doing mini T. And actually, she just went home. She's done. But they wanted a junior pass, and they're going to continue on themselves. They're excited to do it themselves. But I was going to run her this weekend, and they wanted to see one for the first time, and now it's their turn. She goes out and gets the first water bird. Picks it up, brings it back. Goes out and gets a second one. And she is so little, she grabs this duck and goes completely underwater with it. Comes up and she's holding it by the tip of the wing, like a feather in her mouth. She just had a bad grip. Like, shit, this isn't going to be good. Okay, come on, girl. Well, it kind of landed angled back off of a point, which for a junior dog, that they're going to come back out that way instead of, pretty much stay in the water and come to me so she got out tripped over the duck dropped it jumps back in the water and keeps coming to me and i'm going oh no 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 you you don't know enough right now to like tweet her and cast her back like this ain't good this is not good this is not good what do i do what do i do and and i didn't have that amount of time like what i just said oh no oh no this isn't gonna work no 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 in a split second you have to make a split second decision what am I going to do to get this dog? And I casted her back and said, fetch. And I go, now the other thing, when you say fetch to a dog who's fresh out of force fetch. They're getting something. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they're getting something. And and they're going to feel perceived pressure. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no e-collar on her. But it's perception of, oh boy, something's up. I better do it. And now she's 10 yards from the duck. She looked at me and goes, huh? 
turns around and swam back. Now, she doesn't really know the back cast, but I did it just to try and help her, right? Like, I don't know. I was doing the best I can. Made you feel better. Well, maybe. Fetch. And I'm my butt is puckered. She turns and starts swimming out to sea. I'm like, well, I can't, I, I can't blow a whistle and cast her. She doesn't understand that yet, and it probably would cause more problems than good. So I just said, fetch again. Fetch. And she kept swimming, and then her head went up. <laughs> turned back towards the duck that she dropped, picked it up, brought it back to me. I'm like, ha, 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 because yeah, if you failed two junior dogs. <laughs> oh, man, dude, not Ooh, good. Bob. <laughs> Ooh, son. But it was a boykin. And I was so proud of her. I mean, that to me, that's perseverance. Absolutely. That's a willing to work dog. She 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 made a mistake, you know, whatever. And then she worked with me to figure it out and got that dog. So I was I was ecstatic. I really was. I mean, to have her turn back around instead of giving up, she she did good. Did really, really well. Senior dogs, we got two senior titles. The other two, um, Link, Stinkin' Lincoln, he's three for four. And Lizzie got her senior title. Drake got a senior title. I'm trying to think who the other dog. Oh, Legend ran his first senior test. Oh, here we go. You could do it. Go ahead, Clark. Get get you some. Oh, yeah. Bush. Welcome to the bush hood, buddy. So uh, Legend is, is a dog I got not too not too long ago. He came on my southern trip and then went home for a couple months and came back. And he's a team player. He really is. He's a little lack of focus at times. Um, so on, on multiple marks, he'll kind of like see that bird go down and be like, well, there's another one. And during that doot to do, he forgets the first one. But he hammered it. So I was really, really proud of his composure, and he was steady as a rock. And that was cool. And then our master test, and then I'm going to let you talk about your dogs for a second, so I don't mean to go crazy here. But our master test, my most, most proud moment was watching my client run his dog. His name is Gannon. I don't really know how to pronounce his last name. It sounds French to me, but it's Noir. Noir. N-E-U-O-H-E-R, something like that. The good-looking Gannon? Yeah, the good-looking Gannon versus your bird boy, Gannon, who's sitting in this room. He's just chilling, drinking a bush light, hanging, chilling. Um, He had never ran a test before. Kuma, the golden retriever, has her hunting retriever champion title, trained by another pro. He did a great job with her. And Gannon would go to the test and get to watch, but never got to run her. Then she's had almost two years off of training, hunted a ton, Gannon trained her, did his thing, had a litter of puppies, and literally at eight weeks, the puppies went home and he dropped her off here. And I got her mid-May, I think, something, or May 1st, let's just say May 1st. And she's she's went seven for eight in master, qualified for the master national, and today he ran, or yesterday, he ran her for the first time ever, ever in a hunt test. So he didn't even know the rules. You know, watching him run, I would have never known that. He was pretty good. He was pretty cool, calm, collective, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, I would have never known that was his first time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I think it would be beneficial for people to hear what he did well and what he didn't do well. 
What he did well was keep his composure. He didn't go too fast. A lot of folks will get up there and rush casts. They'll send, quick send the dog so the bird hits ground, boom, send him. Um, or they come back with a bird, take the bird, send him. Um, he, he did take his time. He was patient. He was patient on, you know, blowing the whistle and letting the dog look at him. Um, I think a few times he didn't line her up properly on memory birds. And it would have helped him to, instead of take more time for her to like look out, it would have been better to be like here, no, good, here, sit, good, boom, send. Um, just to make sure that she was a team player and aiming in the right place. But I think so many folks get up there and their nerves get the best of them that they move too fast. And he he didn't. I just think if he lined her up better, like we definitely would have had wouldn't have had to handle in the first series. He didn't line her up good on the third bird and she went out to no man's land. General direction was right, but she was twenty yards off, wrong side of the wind, and he had to handle. Um the third series she was her body was aimed at the middle bird. Her head was looking at the go bird. He took his time, but he didn't reposition her. And when he kicked her off, her head swung back to the middle bird and went to the middle bird. And so they're just little things that me and you see and maybe would work on at the line in the moment that you know maybe three or four tests from now he's going to pick up on and feel more comfortable to move her and work her. Right. And the the big thing is experience. Lack of experience. I mean, that's that's all that is. Uh, yeah. And, and the awesome thing of the perspective we get of that, and, and I feel the same way. You watch a client run their dog and they're successful, and it's one of the best feelings uh, in the world. Biggest smile uh, on my face. At the, But at the same time, we're still there to help them get better. That's right. Um, I've got a client of mine named Jay Bryant has a dog named Banks that uh, he's run two SRSs with him. That's huge. <laughs> kind of a brag on him. The only other thing he's ever run in an SRS is a started <laughs> test. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, man. He he stepped up big time. Um, he's run two SRSs. He made the top 12 the first time. Wow. He made the top six the second time he ran with this dog. Now, he's a special dog. He's a grand champion master hunter. Um. But, man, it's awesome to teach. Like, yeah. every time he come off the line and, you know, I pat him on the back, dude, awesome job. Um, you did a great job, but let's talk about what we can get better at. You yeah. Know? And, and it's cool to do that because you get to see them learn. Yeah. But at the same time, when they're not successful, I keep this in mind, a guy that I learned from from the very beginning, and he, he's not really in the dog world anymore. His name's Travis Bruce. He was instrumental in me starting an HRC and uh, he used to always tell me, look, if you go and you're unsuccessful, keep in mind you get, you're get, you always going to get one or two things from a hunt test. You're either going to get a ribbon or you're going to get a lesson. If you didn't get either one of those, you wasted your time and money. That's right. So I always tell people that when they're not successful, look, take this in stride. If you're not successful, why weren't you successful? What can you do better to be better? Um, and typically the successful – handlers whether it be amateur or pro are kind of perfectionist you know yeah it's never good enough um which and, is a great segue 
I'll let you finish your comment, but that's a great segue. So you have to take everything that you do, even your failures, and say, how can I get better? Yeah. You know, no matter, even if you have a successful weekend as a pro, let's say you pass 95% of your dogs. I'm the type of guy that's always like, what could I have done different to get that last one? Yep. It's just the way I'm wired. And, and I feel like we're the same way with the amateurs that we have. We're like, all right, this was great, but we can make it better. And I think the moment you stop trying to strive to be better and what you can do to help these dogs be better is when you start kind of fading out of the game or the game passes you by. Yeah. It's a compliment sandwich. Absolutely, yeah. You want to tell them what they did well? You want to tell them what they need to try for the next series or the next test and then end with another compliment? Because if you come in with, well, you screwed this up, you screwed it, and they might have passed. But if you only come in with the critiques, then they're going to be like, well, I passed, but I didn't do that good. No. no Hell not. no. He crushed it. Absolutely. For the amount of time that they have at the line, for the things that they can do sometimes, it, it amazes me. Like with Jay and Banks, I mean, who in the world walks up, has never run anything but a started test, and goes gets a top 12 in an SRS? Right. And then the only other thing he runs after that is another SRS and gets a top six. I mean, it doesn't happen. Super proud of him, super proud of the dog. Um, but he's kind of like me. He's like, what can I do? What can I do to get better? Yeah. You know, and, and those are the people that are fun to work with. Yep. You know, people that can take the compliment, but at the same time, you can pull them aside and say, okay, let's talk about what can we do so maybe next time we can win this thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we've stepped up each time, so how are we going to make the next step? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, one of the things that we talked about, and that was the segue I was commenting on, is is that perfection. You know, you're you're well known for the Grand, for the Master National, and for the Crown, the Super Retriever Series Crown. And you got a good record, man. You're you're a top handler in the country. You're top trainer in the country, and I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. But there's a reason for it. And one of the things, the little wisdom that was imparted on me over the wingy dingies and fish fry and burgers over the last two days at Shorty's Pub and Grub. Shout out, Shorty's. Absolutely best wings I've had in a long time. (laughs) Shout out, Shorty's. Was that amount of perfection on the dog's working with you and getting to their marks and running blinds. And so what I'd like you to talk about for a second is is how you do that. And it does set you apart because it's a little bit different than, you know, a lot of the other folks we've had on the podcast. Um, so talk about, talk about what we've been talking about. Well... It goes back to a mindset and what we just discussed a second ago about I'm the type of person that I want to pass every dog. And it doesn't happen that way most of the time. Um, Bless this weekend, we went eight for eight in master. Uh, But to give you a prime example of that, this past grand, uh, we took 16 dogs. Gannon went with me. Um, Can't do the things I do without Gannon. Give a shout out to Gannon. He works hard for me. but we carried 16 dogs out of 16 into the fourth series of the Grand, which is a huge feat. 
we ended up passing 11. We lost four in the fourth series. We lost one in the Upland. And, uh, you know, 11 out of 16 is an amazing feat at the Grand. Yeah. But, but you know, it's not 16 all that 16. did to me was, like, fuel my fire of, like, I want all of them. Like, I know I can do it. I was that close to it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, how do we get to that point? And I've been doing this for almost 16 years now, and it's been a blessing. I love it. I've been blessed with some amazing dogs in the past and had success. Uh, but a lot of the success that you've seen from Mossy Pond Retrievers, the last two grands, we went 9 out of 16, then we went 11 out of 16, um, which is extremely high passing percentage, is a combination of knowledge. Um, I was on my own for 14 years. Uh, did did well, loved it. Um, and Brad and I started talking about me coming there. And it's been a blessing, man. Um, I wanted to be able to train dogs and solely train dogs and focus on just that and not have to deal with as much of the business side, which I know you can completely understand there. Yep. Um, but, you know, we talked about the day you start striving, stop striving to learn more is the day you're dying. I've learned a lot from Lee and Brad, a whole lot. And vice versa, we've bounced ideas off each other and we've excuse me, we've helped each other with areas. And uh, there's things that Brad and Lee have taught me since I've been there that deal with marking and setting up a mark and what are we looking for in a mark that was completely different than I've ever thought of before. So shout out to them for that. That's a big reason why we've had the success we've had. And, and a lot of these dogs were started there at Mossy Pond. They've had that up breathing, bringing through the field trial type setups. So, what makes you successful in the Master National of the Grand? Um, you know, you can have people that are trainers that, or anyone or amateur that can pick out where birds should and shouldn't be. And that's a big part of it. You know, where you should throw birds within training. Where should we teach dogs to look for birds and where not to? Um, that's a big key. But the biggest thing to me is the standard of which we expect these dogs to do these birds, whether it be marks or blinds, you know, the standard should be, we expect it to be perfect and we shouldn't accept, accept anything different than that within our training, because if we allow it not to be, then how can we expect them to do it perfect on the weekends? And, and you and I were talking about this earlier and we were kind of looking through some different video setups I had and things that I look for within the marking scenario or whether it be a blind scenario. Um, and, and we talked about some things that I may do different than some. And again, there's no right or wrong way to do things. It's whatever works best for you. Um, I do repeat a lot of marks. You know, a lot of people don't. Uh, but I expect this dog to do this mark right. So if a dog struggles to do a mark to my standard of what I expect. But let's describe that. Right. Let's give a example. Let's okay. give an example because I think if you give a, uh, uh, like, paint the picture for me of the example you're talking about, and then why you would handle them the way you do, and then why you would repeat it, it'll be easier. Okay. It'll be easier for me to understand. I, I'm going to go back to one that I remember vividly preparing for this last grand, um, and we threw this mark multiple times from different angles. And I'm sure Gannon can back me up on remembering this mark. It was a mark that the last 
20 yards of the mark was the mark. It was a 100-yard mark, but the last 20 yards was the mark. The first 80 was just go that direction. But the decision-making was the last 80 yards. So what was that about the last 80 yards? 80 or 20? The last 20, I'm sorry. Go on. Was we threw a bird with a gunner a long way away from a piece of cover, and the bird landed behind a piece of cover. Okay. It was pretty black and white to go through the cover. But a lot of the dogs would push toward the gun to go under the arc. Right. Okay. That's not the mark. That's not what I set up. That's not what I'm looking for him to do. So my expectation and my standard is that dog to proceed directly to that bird. That cover was put there for a reason. So, let's say this dog goes to cheat this piece of cover, especially a grand-level dog. I'm not going to correct it, per se, with a collar the first time, but I'm not going to allow it to do that. Um, so, being that it was a 100-yard mark, and they had 80 yards of free range, and they had 20 where the decision really was, uh, I'm going to recall that dog. We're going to come all the way back, all right? And we're going to tweet, tweet. Oh, here. No here, no pressure involved. We're going to recall. We're going to rerun this mark. Rethrow or um, just rerun? I'll rethrow a lot of the times. Sometimes I won't. It just depends on the dog and the scenario and what I know about this dog's mindset. If it's a really soft dog that I don't really need to break down any confidence in, I'm definitely rethrowing. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, if it's a fire-breathing dragon, cocky son of a gun, that I need to check down his reality a little bit, I'm not going to rethrow that joker. By God, you better remember it and go get it. Okay. Now, we didn't give any pressure the first time. The dog does the same thing again. It did the exact same thing that it did before. I'm going to apply a little pressure. Okay. Not super heavy. Call it back, say halfway. And I'm going to give it a cast, and I expect it to make a decision. Still, I'm not making it for it. Uh, if it gets in a little fat, gets a bird, great. I am going to repeat that mark. The dog has not done that mark to the standard that I expect. So, and especially when it comes to preparing for the grand, I'm a big advocate of quality, quality, quality setups and dogs doing the setups to the standard that you set. So, let's say the last grand we ran 16 dogs. I like to try to get in three setups a day preparing for it. But let's just say this one setup, the dogs are really not doing well. If it takes me all day to get it right, we're going to do it take all day to get it right. Uh, because I feel like if we don't, we're doing injustice to the dog. So let's say we didn't spend all day to make sure this dog does this right into the standard. Let's say it's that cover mark. Yeah. And by God, we see it at the grand. And that dog doesn't hit the cover and it gets lost. Gosh dang, if we had just spent that extra time that day to make sure that dog did that right, even if it took you another 30 minutes, right. even if it took you putting the dog back up and running it again at the end, that's the difference in that dog passing the grand or failing the grand. Right. So it's those little things and it's the standard yeah. of what you hold those dogs to. Let's talk about, so rethrowing marks is, I don't know if the right word is counterintuitive, 
Because I'm not smart enough to know that. Let's be real. That's a big word. It I'm is. I'm not really sure either. I'm not really sure. But it's a lot of folks. Dogs. Yeah, that's right. But a lot of folks will be like, we don't rethrow marks because we don't want to teach a dog to go back to the old fall. And so they would say, well, Clark, that's great, but we don't rethrow marks. So we would just set that same scenario up somewhere else. And so you're, a, all right, I'm going to change my accent now. Instead of rethrowing, because I can't keep doing it forever. Sorry. Um, so instead of rethrowing that mark, they would take the concept that you were doing on that mark, the dog made the mistake on, and find another place to do it. So instead of rethrowing, they're saying, okay, that concept of the cover that they were challenging, I can go over here in my afternoon setup and do it again. It's just a different mark. What do you say to that? My response to that would be there's no 100% right way or 100% wrong way to train a dog. That's right. It's what works best for you. Me personally, I've never been able to find a scenario that is exactly 100% the same of what I'm doing. So, if you realize something I said about that mark, we ran that mark multiple times from multiple different places. So, it may not have been today, they, we finally got them to do it right. Well, a week later, guess what? This is the same bird placement, but from a different line. Let's Now we're really seeing, do you remember this? Do you understand what I was saying or what I was trying to re- reiterate to begin with? Right. But what I have noticed, Bob... And we're talking about the grand again. Um, dogs, once you start having that standard and you set it for them, I don't feel like you can do it for months and months and months on end. I feel like you can put dogs in a situation to where they just fold mentally. Um, but I do feel like it. if you're preparing for a grand, that standard needs to be set and it needs to be there for a month or two. Before you go to the grand. And once you see a dog that realizes that this is the standard, there is no other way to do it but right, you'll see a dog start to focus more. And I use a lot of the terminology of a dog's running the direction to a bird, but they're not really running to a bird. And you see that a lot in hunt test. A dog's hauling butt that way. It knows the bird's over there, but it doesn't really know where the bird is. Right. So when you start implementing a standard of I expect you, and we're putting obstacles, whether it be cover, water, logs, whatever it be, you see dogs start to really focus, not just on the birds over there, but it's right there Mm -hmm. because they have to because you've put that standard over them over the time time preparing for them. Yeah. Um, But I don't feel like you can do that for six, eight months on end. I, I feel like if you try to do that, you have to make peaks and valleys, and we talked about that before. Yep. Um, I want to create that peak for the grand. So for about a month or two before, I'm going to really be hard on them about that standard, okay? Yeah. To where it gets to the point to where the week before the grand, the standard's there. Now we're going to do things that are more based on not necessarily complete focus on exactly where the bird falls, but let's think about things that we may see in the grand. Okay, we're going to set up some short holding blinds, and we got a big bird that's kind of hard to see out there with no attention getter, and we're going to throw that first to get them looking down that gun barrel, looking where I'm pointing, find that bird in the air. We'll focus on that a lot right before the grand. 
Uh, and the simple things of swinging the gun, control, things like that. Uh, but again, we're not going to just crank down on them because we put all that mental stress on them before we ever got there about really focusing on where they should go. Yeah, I think so. Adam Campbell was on the podcast last week and we were talking about trying to get your dogs to peak at the right time. You know, we were talking Master National and it's like for me, I'm looking at we're at July Let's just say 15th. I don't even know what day it is. We're halfway through July. We got all of August and realistically half of September. Because the second half of September, you're traveling to Idaho. You're intermixing new places to train. It might not be exactly what you want to set up. Like it's unfamiliar grounds. It's this, it's that. You're there. You're in it. So you better have all the homework done now August and then the beginning part of September and the the terminology I'm going to use is breaking a dog down but I don't mean it in a negative way or necessarily pressure way but but to your point we're going to hold the standard super 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 high so yeah they're probably perceived pressure it might be other pressure it might be just challenging more challenging setups teaching you know not teaching concepts because if they've hit that level you're not teaching them a down the shore blind. They already know it. But the point is the standard that we're going to hold for that whole time is going to be super, super high. And then we maybe just ease off them a little bit so that confidence and that like swagger comes back a little bit and then you hit that test and they've got all that control still in them, but they feel good. Right, and and you're talking about breaking a dog down. Um, I feel like what we're talking about not holding a dog to that extreme standard at all the time. I feel like once we'll still be like, man, this sucks. Right. But when we start putting them to that standard, I feel like we're invoking mental stress on the dog. Yeah. We're not necessarily putting collar pressure or physical pressure on this dog, but it's mental pressure. They're stressed. They're stressed. Yeah. Um, But that being said, in a human, in a human world, it'd be like studying for the SATs. Right. Right. And you bomb your first like I did. And then you got to do the second one and you still bomb it the second time. But like you're mentally I, I guess stressed. my perspective of it over the years has changed, especially in the last two. Um, I used to use a good bit of pressure to break the, break some of the dogs down and then build them back up. I don't do that anymore. Um, and Gannon, thank God he's been with me to throw birds and he knows he, he knows what I expect now, especially when we're getting ready for a grand uh, this will be his first national, but it's not my preparation's not much different, right. other than some bird placement may be different. Um, but I feel like even though my standard is extremely high, you can't sacrifice attitude at the same time, and I feel like that's where people make mistakes. Yeah. So let's just say I'm trying to reach this point to where this dog runs at this standard all the time. Well. Let's just start throwing out dog names on the truck. Let's say smooth here. Within two weeks is what a good name. Bam, he's he's right there, man. You know, or three weeks. But I got let's throw another dog's name out there. I got out there, Penny. Penny, sweetest dog ever. She's a little softer, very capable of performing at that standard. But I have to treat her a little differently to get her there. So that's I, I've gone away from the term of breaking them down. Yeah, it's more of how can I build up 
that focus level more to get to that point without mentally breaking them down to where they're unsure or unconfident in themselves. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. So I look at it differently. I used to think I need to break them down and build them up. And now I just look at it as, okay, how can I increase their focus level at all times of what, what I'm looking for them to do rather than breaking them down? Because I feel like the biggest thing is getting them to where they're extremely focused on the task at hand Mm -hmm. Um, rather than being nervous about the task at hand. And what you mentioned just a minute ago about when you get there, we're taking the pressure off. I feel like if you're having to train and prepare for the Grand or Master National, truly prepare for it the week before, you've already failed. Yeah. In my opinion, when you get the week get there the week before, we're not training anymore. If no. the dog doesn't have it at that point, it doesn't have it. You're not going to make it have it in five days or ten days. Right. We're just acclimating this dog to a different environment, different grounds, different smells, now, we will use the fact that we've got all these guys together. It's more like a hunt test environment to get a couple of corrections that we may not get at home. Right. But as far as the overall preparation of the dog being able to do the work in the field, if we're trying to prepare it five days before the event, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny, this morning before the test, you know, I took my senior dogs out and I had a little bit of time here and uh, there's nothing to teach them, right? No. And I'm at my kennel. So you know what I did? Well, basically, my trailer, we had a lot of rain on Saturday. All day All day long. long. You know what happens when there's rain? There's mud. And so my trailer is a little muddy. So my training session this morning, which was just to get their mind right, and this was just, I probably didn't even have to do it, but I felt like they're young, they're dumb, whatever. So I made them come out, and they didn't come out of the box and run around and go pee. They came out of the box and sat, and I squeegeed their box out. And I turned around and looked at them, sit, kennel, back in the kennel. Click, load it up. Next dog. Jump out. They're all excited. Sit. They sat. Squeegeed it out. Put them back in the box. And I just, I looked at them and I go, have some self-control. Because usually when you open the box, hey, it's game time. Hey, we're airing out. Hey, we're having fun. Sit down. And I just thought to myself, I they're young. In 25 minutes, they're about to come to an experience where they're super fired up. And I'm not teaching them anything. They know how to run a blind. They know how to sit down and, and do all the things that they need to do. But I wanted them this morning to be like, Bob's in control. I need to have a little self-composure. And I think if we look at that as your your five-day, 10-day, like you were saying, we're not teaching these Master National Grand Hunter Retriever Champions how to sit on a whistle anymore. That sucker knows or doesn't know. And if it doesn't know, you don't belong there. But... You're just establishing control. You're just establishing a a little bit of control and a little bit of self-discipline and a little bit of composure and a little bit of like, hey, we're a team here. And hey, by the way, on that team, I'm the coach, captain, president, you know, owner. But we're a team. Um, And I just, I don't know, man. I'm with you on that. I think you're right. You made a great point. And I want to revisit it for one second. 
the term of breaking them down is not the right term. And I think it is to maybe get our point across when you're discussing it with somebody because it's easy to understand. But I'm not breaking them down so they don't have the will to do it. I'm breaking them down so they think. I'm, I, I want them to be a thinker. I want them to be a confident. I want them to have confidence, but I want them to be confident in, in the right decisions and not overconfident where they're a think for themselves or. Right. And my biggest term is always focus. I want the dog focused. I want it yeah. 100% focused on where that bird fell when it becomes to marking. Uh, I want it focused on, I'm going to work a lot on communication. Is that dog working with me to do the things I need it to do? Let's just say I'm working on check down birds. I'll throw 200 yard mark. And turn around and we'll have a 30-yard memory bird that's hard to get. Yeah. Now, all I'm looking for in that memory bird is, does that dog actually allow me to communicate with it? Yeah. If it overruns it by 15, 20 yards, and then I see it go, oh, wait a minute, and hunts back into it, hey, I'm yeah, not necessarily yeah. worried that he didn't pin that bird, but he's he's communicating Thinking. with me. He's focused on the task at hand and working with me, and he's also focused on the job. Um, and as far as marking is concerned, check down bird to me is communication. That's that's Easy. the biggest part of a check down bird. I don't feel like it's necessarily marking as much as it is a communication line with a dog. So I'm going to work on that a lot. But I feel like the biggest thing for me approaching a grand or a national is the focus level of a dog. I, I want them just focused. I mean, I want them confident in what they're doing. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to have instilled enough of a standard that I expect in them that they are truly focused on the task at hand. All right. So let's take a pool of grand dogs, 400 dogs, 500 dogs, and a grand then let's take a pool of the Master National, twelve to fifteen hundred dogs in the Master National. Out of the people that listen to this show, there there's a small percentage of the people that listen to the show that are running it. So let's break down the development of that focus. The development of that junior hunter, that good meat dog, gun dog that we want to maybe play and start teaching how to uphold a standard without, because if we were to do what we're talking about, you know, a, a one-year-old dog who failed the junior test, and I call him back, now, and, well, I don't know, I probably would do it with him. So I don't know, he's probably a bad example, but the point is, there, there's certain times and there's certain dogs and there's certain ages and there's certain confidence levels and there's certain foundational things that you need to have in a dog before you do these next steps that we're kind of talking about and we just talked right. about for the last you know damn near hour hour uh, yeah and so, so i think let's let's maybe break down that i think six month old where you're getting at is when i'm talking about a standard what we were just talking about is a grand and master national level now, keep in mind, standard is relevant as to where the dog is in training. 
Yeah. So a grand or a master national standard is not anywhere near the same of what our standard is for a junior dog that is building into, okay, we want to eventually make it a grand dog. So what are we doing with these junior dogs that is different than the dogs that are going to run the national or the grand? Momentum, 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 momentum. Um, we want to get these dogs to where the, our standard is, does the dog get out there and find the bird to begin with? We want it to be successful. You know, that's the first piece of the puzzle is get the dog to go get a bird and bring it back. It doesn't have to go out there and step on it and know which blade of grass it's by or take a direct line here to get there. It's just don't go get a bird and bring it back. And, and the standard's going to gradually increase as the dog's, let's say, for tool belt gets more full. As they get more tools and more understanding of what's right and what's wrong, the standard's going to gradually increase, okay? We can't just bring, let's just throw an, an idea out there. We've got a junior dog out. Okay, it's force-fetched. It's forced to pile, starting to learn how to cast. So us holding that junior dog to a standard of where it should and should not be, how do we do that? We have no tools to, if they don't do it right, cast them and show them. So... We've got to make sure we set them up to be successful with the things they do that is within what we expect the standard to be at some point. Now, as they get casting and we have these tools in them and their tool belt's getting more full, now we're getting ways that we can increase that standard. Okay, and this is where it gets... A juggling act. It's a juggling act, and it's super important about... Let's talk about corrections for a second. A correction should only be used on a dog that knows the difference between right and wrong. Okay? So as we put these tools within this dog, now we can start teaching them what is right and what is wrong. So let's say we're starting on de-cheating. We'll make it black and white. And this dog goes to cheat the water. Never ever are we just going to burn it the first time it goes to cheat the water. It doesn't know that that is wrong. So we're going to ease up, simplify it, send them, let them do it correctly. We'll step back a few steps, and we go to send them. They go to cheat the water again. Tweet, no, no, come back. Cast in the water. Show them what we want. Until we get to the point to where we've shown them enough to where we can start introducing some pressure to it and holding them accountable for making the right decision around the water. And it goes the same way on land. We can't just come out and put pressure on a dog or accept a standard, expect a standard until we've taught a dog a standard. Yep. I think I'm sure in your lifetime and mine, we can look in the mirror and be like, man, that's good advice that we should have taken. Oh, man. If <laughs> <laughs> right, the things I know now had I only known back then. And, yeah. And then we still are human, too. You might make that mistake tomorrow. Like it. But if you hold that true. 95% of the time, you're going to have a heck of a dog. And you're going to have a heck of a time training them. We all make mistakes. We all lose patience. We all overcorrect, undercorrect. We wrong timing, this and that. But if you got a dog that's willing to work with you, and 95% of the time you're for the dog, you're working for the dog, you're trying to get them to be successful, and you're only giving corrections Say that comment you said again, because uh, I'm going to bo botch it. 
Which one? The when to give a correction. Corrections, in my opinion, should only be given for two things. Lack of effort or defiance. So defiance is pretty black and white. I told you to sit three times and you didn't sit. It's defiance. If I blew the whistle five times, I know you heard it. It's defiance. Lack of effort is something that I know I've taught you before, and you're just simply not giving me the effort to do it correctly. But we cannot correct unless we know without a doubt that this dog knows that the correction it's getting is for something it did wrong, and we've taught it what the correct response is to the cur- to the pressure. That's right. Yeah. So I think if you look at those things and, and you're building a, a young dog up and you hold that standard to yourself, you're going to teach more than correct a dog into doing it right does that make sense right right um so this is going to be a quote that brad said the other day and all of us are competitive otherwise we wouldn't be in this um you show up you want to have the best dogs there it's in our nature yeah okay so that being said you used to play rugby you're a competitive person yep you want to win all the time yep so we are the teachers here you and i when it comes to teaching these dogs, all right? And Brad made this comment to me. When you let a dog get to you or make you upset, that dog just beats you. It won. So I have to keep that in mind even 15 years later. And Brad does too when he works with dogs. It's the same thing. Yeah. Because we're so passionate about wanting to have the best dogs there. But you got to deep breath. This dog's not going to beat me today. What can I do to get this point across the dog without losing my temper and let it beat me. Right. The way I'm going to beat it is keep my temper and keep working at this until I get the dog to do what it needs to do. That's unbelievable. Great little tip. Yeah. Great little tip. And I think we've got a lot of listeners here that, you know, they listen because we give them tips and we give them little tips and tricks and drills and, and what not to work on. But, but, man, we're all human, and it's easy to be like, you son of a gun, you're supposed to do this. Well, it's their third day doing this, bro. Right. Or it's their fifth day. Or, guess what, it's their hundredth day, and then I'm coming down. Well, even in that. Well, yeah, even in that. Like, It's well, why? a grand champion, master hunter, qualified all-age dog, and it does something. Man, they make mistakes. we have bad days. Yeah. How no. can we not expect them to sometimes have Gann bad and I, days? Gann and I rarely have a bad day. I'm pretty on time all the time. Just saying, yeah, pretty much 100%. Go on. But go on, Clark. You're yeah, right. I, I don't really. I, I have bad days. I'm just <laughs> going to tell you I have bad days. <laughs> I just hope they're not at the times that I need to be at my peak. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right, dude. It's uh, They're still an animal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a, a good friend of mine said one time, and I won't really repeat it, but he said... If I'm going to, I'm going to PG 13. I know what you're about to say. If he'll sniff his mother's butt and his sister's butt, and then he'll turn around and eat a turd, he's a dog. And they're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) and it was a lot more vulgar than that, folks, but you know where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they're a dog. They're going to do dumb dog stuff. And, you know, you got to remember that sometimes when we, because they are amazing sometimes. And the things we can get these dogs to when do. When you go to a Super Retriever series, you watch it on the crown. It's going to be live, you know, in a couple months, and you're going to be there. And Lee's going to be there. 
Gannon, you can't have that on right now. What are you listening to, Gannon? You can't listen to my podcast right now. We're on the podcast. No, we're going to be live at the Crown. And you're going to watch these dogs do 400-yard marks, check down to a 20-yard mark, get in a boat, know them off of this, and then all of a sudden you pick all that up and five marks go off at the same time. Da-da-da-da-da. Like they throw everything in the kitchen sink at you, and you watch these dogs and you're like, what? It's... It's the best of the best and the most versatile dogs in the game. And and it's changed since I started. The dogs are better. They are better now than they were 10 years ago. And it's amazing some of the things that nowadays we just take for granted dogs can do. But 10 years ago when I first started, it was like, holy crap, they can't do that. Right. But now it's just standard. All of them can can do it. Yeah. And, And that just goes to show that training is getting better. The the breeding's getting better. Genetics are getting better. Yeah. Um, but I but my point is that same dog that crushes the crown can come out at a master test and break. Absolutely. Can come out at a master test and can't find a flyer, for the same reason we talked about with my junior dog. I mean, it it is a dog, and yeah, so when a, you're having a bad day and you're losing your patience and you you can't figure out why it can't pick that mark up or why it's not doing this or that. Take a deep breath. And, and you know, the majority of the time, and this is what I try to explain to people that train with me, if they start getting upset with their dog, I don't believe a dog, for the most part, has a bone in its body. It's like, I'm going to screw Bob today. I'm going to see how mad I can make him. I don't I don't believe most of them are wired that way. There are some. There are some of them that way. Yeah. But for the most part, I don't feel like they are. And, and let, let's give a prime example of one that, that goes in my mind. The last crown was Stroker in the final series. He completely botched up a water blind. 100% uncharacteristic of that dog. That is not him. Normally, if there's any strong suit that dog has, he's going to absolutely kill the blinds that nobody can do. And this was a blind he's run three times before the crown. And it just it went to crap. You know, it just did not go well. I think he had like, 200 points on the series and he had 190 of them on the one blind it was terrible oh. but you know when as soon as we walked off the line you know I, I looked at him and yeah i was disappointed at what happened but man he just had a bad day yeah. you're talking about a dog that's run four crowns he's got two seconds a sixth, and a seventh you know he just had a bad day you know it doesn't make it any different of whether or not i love and respect that dog any less it's just crap man it was just one of those days Yep. Uh, and and we have to take that in stride when we're competing. And yes, I'm competitive, and you are too. Yeah. Um. And yes, I get frustrated when a dog doesn't do as well as I know it can. But you know what? We don't do the best we can do every day, even though we may try our best to be the best we can be. We can't be at 110 percent every single day, even though right. no matter how hard we try. And, and it wasn't that he wasn't trying. It's just something wasn't clicking that day. Yeah. And, you know, that's it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't make him any less of a dog. That's right. Uh, in the same perspective of any other dog out there, let's take Sean Sims and Wiggles. Man, he was crushing it through that crown and just had a bad day when it wasn't really a time to have a bad day. Right. But that doesn't make that dog any less of a dog. It doesn't make Sean any less of a handler. It's just, man, it happens. Yeah. And you're competing against the best of the best. 
somebody's going to have a good day and they're going to win. That's the right. way it is. You just yeah. hope it's you and your dog that day. Yeah. I know it. I know it. And I think don't even think about it competitively. Like stuff is on the line, right? Crown's on the line. Master National pass on the line. Tomorrow, me and you are going to go and train together. And you bet your sweet butt that I want my dogs to do good in front of you. Because I respect you. And I want to... Yeah, I have never... You know, other than what you saw this weekend. You know, I have... And I, I just want to do good, right? But I guarantee you, someone who's a good dog is going to get me. Because it's a dog. I guarantee you, some of mine are going to get me. Because they're dogs. <laughs> yeah, because they're and, a dog. And this is one thing that people need to think about. When you train with other people. People you respect friends, whatever. It's not a competition. Yeah. You're training. If your dog's doing absolutely everything right, are you really training? Are you learn? Are the dogs learning anything? Yeah. Are you challenging them enough? Now, that being said, there's times that you do need to really challenge them, and there's times that you need to set up things they can be successful on and boost their confidence. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if they're killing absolutely everything you're throwing at them, you need to challenge them a little more. Yeah. Because you're not making them any better. Yeah. At that point. They're going to be bored, too. They're going to get right. a bored dog. Right. All right. Let's uh let's end it with your favorite. I'm going to I'm going to ask you two drills. Something that you like to do marking wise and blind wise. Oh, that's a tough one. Um far as a mark my favorite blind drill hmm. um i use pattern blinds a lot even on advanced dogs um and, and i might go back to i use a five leg when i finish a pattern blind and it's shaped like a w uh, and i like to build a lot of communication with it so i i will go back and revisit that even with srs dogs master national dogs uh because I feel like it's communication line that we're building with these dogs, and we need to go back and reiterate sometimes. Uh, so that's so like let's let's just take this this next couple months. We got the Grand the Master National, then the SRS. Is that a like the five leg, the W lining pattern, whatever you want to call it, a confidence building blind drill? Is that something you're doing in that? Yes, I'll I'll, I'll do it. I wouldn't say I religiously do it. Um, that and KRD. Do a lot of KRD. Describe the KRD um, because I'm a big fan of it. Uh, it's a key relationship drill, and basically what we're working on is a relationship between a mark and a blind, where a blind should be in relationship to a mark. So we want to kind of paint a picture to the dog of, okay, I want to be able to communicate with you that you're going to pick up this mark, and then we're going to run a blind tight behind the gun, or we're going to pick up a mark, and we're going to run a blind under the arc, or we're going to pick up a mark and run right back through that fall. Um it's a communication drill. You know, a lot of people look at it as it's just a mark and blind combination. And it is that, and it's teaching them relationship between the two. But to me, it's a lot of communication involved in that drill. A dog that truly understands it and can do it well, what you are conveying to that dog is going to set it up for either success or failure. So that is a drill that I like to really reiterate. Um, as far as a marking drill is concerned, uh, 
I wouldn't say I have just a super favorite marking drill. Uh, I'm a pretty technical trainer when it comes to bird placement and going back to focus, focus, focus. I feel like once I'm training majority advanced dogs at this point, um, mainly like of the 22 dogs I have up here now as of today, 20 of the 22 are master hunters, and I have two younger dogs that are going to be fantastic on there that I'm building right now. Um, I, I really look more at where is a mark placed? Uh, where's their gunner in relationship to that mark? How is it going to affect that mark? What am I looking to get? Can so, you describe it? Because I don't remember who told me it, but it was recent when I told me you're coming up. They're like, oh, he's he's the best at bird placement. It was Jimmy Rogers. Bird, That's who it was. Bird placement to me is, number one, you want to find a place a dog doesn't want to go in the field. Okay, you can make a bird hard by one or two things. You can make it hard to get to or hard to find. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, I'm not going to combine the two. Right. Okay? It's hard to get to. I want it pretty easy to find. Because if you do it right, I want you to be rewarded. Bam. That's right. There it is. Um, vice versa, if it's easy to get to, I might want it hard to find. Like a short bird. Building communication. I want you to stick in there and gut hunt it and find it. Um. But when I look at a bird placement, it's not just about where the bird falls. It's about where the gun is in relationship to the mark as well. Because where the gun's place can make the bird either easier or harder. Suction. Um, so let's just give an example of this past week. Um, some birds that we threw in training on a land setup. We had a gun that was very, very visible on the side of a hill that would either some dogs might want to suck to it or some may want to push way off of it. And they had to angle across multiple strips and then they hit like a runway that would go outside the, the area of the bird a good ways and not reward them. Or they would cross this runway and angle in two more strips of cover and go up there and hit the bird. Or they would suck completely into the gun and be where they shouldn't be. So... You want to place birds in relationship to a gunner to where it challenges them. And this goes back to standards. So you want them to do that bird right, especially when they get up to a high end, high level. So running that runway and getting up there and gut hunting it isn't doing that bird right. right. I made this bird hard to get to. Right. So I want you to do it the correct way. It was easy to find when you got there, but you had to do it right. And I, we're going to do it right. And if I have to throw that bird 15 times before this dog does it successfully, I'm going to do it. Um, Now, depending on that dog, I may bring it back out after I run every other dog and throw it, and I may toss a bird off the side and then go get it as a memory bird. See what they really learn. Are they really focusing on where that bird fell? Or are they just running up there, falling for the traps, and getting up there and gut hunting and finding it? Right. That's the difference between a dog that's really marking a bird and a dog that's running a direction and knows the gun's over there, will hunt around and find it. Right. So to me, the gun placement is almost just as, part, as important as to where the bird falls. Yeah, that gun placement, the word suction, and it could, it could like you said, it could put, 
punch them away from it, could push them away from it, or could pull them into it. It it depends on the dogs, really, like their tendencies. And you have to balance that. You may, I have to catch myself sometimes. Okay, I've worked on all these marks that the bird's a long way from the gun and these dogs are hunting way away from the gun. Okay, I've really reiterated that. I got to balance it. And then I catch myself, okay, I'm getting ready to run the grand. I need to work on these angled in birds. And you throw one, and because of what you've conditioned these dogs to do, now you got dogs that won't get in there and go get to the bird. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier about focus is my biggest thing when you're preparing for these national events. You've got to have a dog that is focused on the bird. Go to the bird. And when you've got one really dialed in, you could easily go over here and throw a bird that if they suck into the gun, they're screwed. They're never going to get it. They've got to go to the bird and then turn around immediately and throw one angled in tight to the gun. And that dog feels super comfortable just going there. I know the bird's there. You get it. Other than pushing way off the gun and hunting in Never Never Land, and that's what they're going to set you up to do. Yeah. Because they're testing which dogs are the best. We got to hope when we show up. This fall, we got the best, buddy. Yep. We got the best. Um, With the crown, I'm hoping I get to go. I mean, I'm not, I'm not running a dog, but I'm, there's an opportunity for me to maybe go. And what it does for me is it's motivation to maybe be there or, or, you know, like right now, Memphis, Memphis is an old dog I've got or, or Quinn the up-and-comer, or even Jolene, two, three, four, five years from now, like, she's a baby. She's a five-month-old baby. But, you know, my my money, my my world is is master dogs and, and, and hunt test and, and gun dogs. But it's fun to be a part of watching you run the crown and watching Lyle run the crown and Lee run the crown and, you know, I look up to you guys, and it's fun to have you here, and it's fun to watch you run a master test, and it's fun to be a part of it. But, you know, this year, who are you looking for at the crown to do well? And uh, on your truck, and then as a as com- competition, what are you thinking? You know, the the game's changed a lot this year. Uh, yeah, we've got last year's crown champion and and bang, um, he's getting older. Uh, I'm not sure if Luke's going to run him or his owner's going to run him. Either way, he's going to be a player in either division. Uh, Stroker's all that I'm running is always a player. He's getting on up there in age. You know, it, it's time for him to do it. Maybe this is his year. Um, then you take Shooter, finished second last year, and Lee and I had a awesome crown last year we had three of the top six and for mossy pond that was a huge thing um shooter's a definite contender uh we've got a dog named joe that i have qualified he won the first srs of the year and joe's young joe that you ran this year or this weekend like plain plain old joe Joe, yeah there's nothing plain about plain old joe no he's a bad Um, bone son of a gun we got a couple (laughs) of more dogs that aren't quite qualified yet that are 100 percent capable like smooth and Emmy and we got a younger dog named Splash. This is close to qualifying, um, but you know Lyle's got a dog named Hatch that's really been hitting it this year. Yeah, we've He's talked a about special Hatch dog. On the He's got a bunch of other ones that are really good. Um, 
Steven's got um, several dogs. He's got Abby. Um, he's got Pine. And then you take Mason, man. Mason, it's just he's just consistent, man. I mean, yeah. he's got a pile of grand passes. He's always there. Um, and, and, you know, the crown this year is going to be a little different. Um, all of us are going to be coming right off a of Master National. Loose. Um we're not going to have really time to truly devote to preparing for the crown. Right. Um, let's go back to the year that I won it. I took four of the top six places. Oh, no big deal. Everybody, everybody <laughs> ran the crown, ran the master national in Oregon. I didn't go. I stayed home and I 100% focused on the crown. And I feel like that made a huge difference. I'm sure. It did. Uh, because my dogs weren't, in Oregon, running a Master National, we were focused on winning the crown, and, and it worked out. I mean, we had a great showing. So this year, we're all going to be in that same boat. Uh, now, <laughs> we may have a dog that stays back. I'm not going to mention who okay. from the crown that is a serious contender. I mean, stays back from the Master National that Lee will be running, uh, that Lee may be focusing 100% on the crown. Uh, which is a good possibility of happening. And I cool. feel like if that happens, that dog's going to have a leg up on a everybody. Le- yeah. Uh, just from past experience, it really worked out well for me. Uh, and I hope that happens. Man, I, nothing would make me happier to see Lee win the crown with this dog or any dog. Yeah. Uh, I'd be the first person to congratulate him for it, be super happy, and I hope that it does happen that way. Uh, but the crown is – it takes a special dog, and they have to have – the week of their life. Um, let's take when I won it with Roscoe. Roscoe won by over 75 points. And it came down to there's always one moment in a crown that you can look at and what won that crown for that dog. There was a bird in the semifinals that Roscoe got out of the pro division that nobody else got. And that separated him to a point that he was so far ahead nobody can catch him. Right. And you can always look at a crown and say this is why that dog won that crown. And that's why Roscoe won that crown. Um, and vice versa, you can go back sometimes and look at why didn't that dog win the crown? And a lot of the times it comes back to the guy that's standing next to him. Yeah. And I can bite that bullet. I did it with Stroker, first crown he ever ran. He would have won, but I cost him the crown. I did. And I have to live with that every day. You know, I look at that as I failed that dog. He would be an SRS crown champion. But it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You either get a ribbon or learn a lesson. You got to learn from it. You got to grow from it. Um, and, and I'll always think Stroker in my mind is a crown champion because he, he, I cost him that. And I hope that he gets it to where I don't ever have to carry that on my shoulders anymore. Sure. But a lot of the times you can look back and say, hey, this dog would have won it, but you made a mistake here or there. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're a true competitor, it's going to eat at you and you're going to try to do better and not make that mistake again. No doubt. No doubt. All right, Clark. Well, we're in an hour and a half, brother. Man, it doesn't even seem like it's been that long. I just like BSing about dogs with you, man. <laughs> Any chance I get, I really, really enjoy it. So I enjoyed it, do me a favor. You, uh, you're you with Mossy Pond now, so people can find you at what? where can they find you, and then where can they find Mossy Pond? You can look us up online instagram we're on facebook uh 
feel free to reach out to us. I mean, we're open. We have, we're blessed to have fantastic grounds. Um, we have a facility that, in my opinion, I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, we're endorsed by Orvis. Um, we have a spectacular lodge for our clientele or people that come to train with us. Um, we're very approachable, every one of us, myself, Lee, Brad, Carter, Hunter, Gannon, anybody involved. Nah, maybe not Gannon. Yeah, Gannon, not so much. <laughs> uh, but if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us, uh, whether it be on Instagram, Facebook, um, anything. You know, reach out to us. We're happy to help. Um, we're always happy to have people come down and train with us. I'm up here in New York at the moment. Uh, we have a thing called Shadow the Pro, and I think it's awesome. I'd never heard of it before. But if you just simply want to come out and kind of pick my brain and learn about what we're doing, and that's what it's for, contact us. We'd love to have you out. Cool. And you got a – there's a litter of puppies that you were Yes, man. We've got an amazing litter of puppies on the way. Actually, they're on the ground. Uh, super excited about this litter. Uh, the sire's name is Mo. He's HRCH Master Hunter, National Derby List, qualified all-age dog. He's the real deal. Uh, one of the best marking dogs I've ever stood by. I mean, he would work, run through a brick wall to get a bird. Uh, and then we have his this, the dam's name is Allie. She's a National Derby List qualified all age, HRCH Master Hunter. She ran her first grand last year and passed. Uh, nice. She's the real deal. I mean, they're super talented, highly driven dogs. And, and they've both proven that they can play the field trial game and the hunt test game. Cool. Um, so I feel like they're going to be amazing, man. We've got a couple more left for sale. So if you um, want, they can you, they can hit up Mossy man, Pine. Contact and ask. us; we'd love to help you with that. If you're looking for a dog to get into the game, man, you'd be hard pressed to find one that'll match with this, especially for the price range they're at. Cool. And uh, we'd be happy to help you along the way with it. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here at the man, house. Thank you for having us. We're excited. Uh, we're excited to train tomorrow, and I'm sure I'll report back to everybody how how it went and um you'll be back at the end of august i'm crossing my fingers and i buddy. hope so i hope so we'll, we'll do another podcast yeah man Absolutely. all right Love it. hey all thank you for tuning in remember check out patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters check out the website click subscribe thumbs up leave a comment bingo bango bongo baby Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.